Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica, and we are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we're going to talk about birth, babies, breastfeeding, nursing practice, and more from our perspective as nurses in the hospital world. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a newly pregnant, first-time parent, or expecting your second baby and you want a better experience this time around, this podcast is for you. Join me and my co-host and special guests as we discuss birth from the womb to the room. Hi, this is Liz and Shana with the Birth Nurses with another hey. podcast. Hi, how you doing, Shana? I'm good. How about you? I'm good. Good, good, good. Uh, nice, relaxing, <laughs> beautiful Sunday after some rain. Really enjoyed that. That it was is. beautiful. Yes. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, today, Shana and I are going to talk about the patient's bill of rights, specifically mm-hmm. the obstetrical patient's bill of rights. This has been coming up in labor and delivery several times in the last year, and we wanted to tease it out and try to help everybody understand what this Bill of Rights is and what it means. And Shana found a pregnant women's Bill of Rights, a summarization from an obstetrical Mm -hmm. group in Nashville. So there's six key points. And then in our next podcast, we're going to take a much deeper dive into the ACOG That's the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and their position paper on uh, refusal of medical recommended treatment during pregnancy and labor and delivery. I think it's a really important subject. It's coming up a lot, right? Yeah, definitely. This should be pretty much on the top of every pregnant woman's mind. (laughs) I totally agree. Um, So this, this summarization I think is really good. For understanding in lay terms, just what are your rights as a pregnant person? And once you go into labor and delivery, what what are your rights? What do you have the power to do as a pregnant person? Um, so let's just go right in. We're going to talk about each um, each point, each of the six things. There's and about then six we'll of them, kind right? of, yeah. yeah, there's six, one, six of them. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll just go right into it. So the first one says... You have the right to leave your provider and choose another if you become dissatisfied with the care you are receiving. So, boom, right out of the gate, we're, like, getting into the nitty-gritty of this. Oh, Um, wow, right? (laughs) You know? Like, Liz, what would this this look like for for someone who's pregnant and, and they read this Bill of Rights or they know that they have this right? What would that look like? Well, for me... When someone comes to me or calls me as a birth educator and says, Liz, I am not seeing eye to eye with my obstetrician. She's not on my page. She doesn't want to talk about my birth plan. She's not into my doula. I always, always first suggest a meeting with Mm -hmm. the obstetrician to sit down and say, I am concerned. This is not feeling good to me. I want to find some common ground because I want to stay in this practice. That's right. Right? Yeah, this uh, this is definitely falling within the context of your prenatal care. So we're hoping that you're going to deal with all of this stuff if you know that you're not on the same page as your provider or somehow something has come up 
and you realize like, oh, we have different views about our, like what my labor and delivery is going to look like. This should be dealt with before you get to the hospital and you're oh, in labor. If only. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> a patient, well, oftentimes our patients, I'll say, you know, how did you meet Dr. So-and-so? And they're, oh, she's been my gynecologist mm-hmm. for years and years and years. I've known her since I was 15 or 21. And so the natural evolution of that would be that she would be my obstetrician. And it's funny because those are really very two separate subspecialties all yes. mixed into one board-certified obstetrician who is a gynecologist she's an obstetrician she's also a certified a board certified surgeon so there's three very distinct things going on there right an orthopedist or an orthopedic surgeon does orthopedic surgery but this could be a relationship that lasts 40 years with your um, OB so knowing your OB before you get deeply into pregnancy much much needed advice, right? I mean, I tell everybody. So now we're in labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You and your doctor have established a relationship. He or she has taken you through nine months of pregnancy. That Mm -hmm. means all of the tests, procedures, um, every discovery uh, could be maternal fetal medicine, all of Everything that is leading up to this moment, you have trusted your obstetrician to see you through this pregnancy, and now you're in labor. Now that's a whole other world. Now Mm -hmm. you're in my world, (laughs) our world. So what happens there? Labor and delivery nurses count as your providers as well. So um, yeah, this could be, what if you have a bad relationship with the nurse that's taking care of you? You do have Don't people right. ask me this all the time? Don't they ask you this in birth class? Like, what if I don't like my nurse? Yeah. And no. I always joke around and say, what if I don't like my patient? <laughs> it's like, oh, how can you say that? You're, right. you know, the self-sacrificing Florence uh, Nightingale that is supposed oh, no. to love all human beings. And we're I'm all like, human, eh, right? Not so much. <laughs> we're all human and we're going to have riffs with people. We're going to probably rub people the wrong way. And vice versa. Whatever do so, you mean, Shana? I know. It's I it's really hard that. to imagine. <laughs> We're going to take but a deeper dive true. into that next <laughs> on the next we podcast. Will. So you have a patient and you realize that their relationship um, with the obstetrician is not going well. And how do we as registered nurses, I guess I would might want to call it mediate, mitigate, Try mm-hmm. to get information. Are you afraid? Are you worried? What did you not cover in your obstetrical visits? What are you worried about? How do you not feel seen and heard? And how can we help? Right. And it is the exact same conversation I might say to a nurse who says to me, my patient and I are not feeling it with each other at all. Yeah, And I'm like, yeah, I, that's a really, really tricky one. Yeah. We really have to, from the beginning, we're trying to create an environment of trust, right? We're trying to um, get on the same page with our patients and and figure out how to make this the best birth experience as possible. Yeah, and we also have to understand that that patient may have other people in the room. Now, of course, during the time of COVID, there's generally only one or two people in the room. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there are other people in the dynamic who have opinions 
and who have very heartfelt um, ideas about how they want this to go. Some of those may be parents, a best friend, uh, a sister, and some may be a hired advocate like a doula. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that gets sometimes into murky water where we're trying to help our patients make decisions with informed consent because I'm trying to establish a relationship with my patient. They're still my patient, and yet I find myself in negotiations or uh, with other members of the team. And I used to feel very put out about that. And what I realize is, especially in exploring this, even after 30 years, the patient does have a right to appoint their advocate and their spokesperson. Even Mm -hmm. in the context of labor and delivery. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because that's part of the sixth point. But we'll move on to number two, which is you have the right to informed consent. And we've Mm. talked a lot about this before. This is Mm -hmm. so important when you're a patient, um, especially in labor and delivery. You're taking care of your own body and your baby inside of you. So what does informed consent mean and... What it like? How do you know that you've gotten full informed consent? Can you talk more about that, Liz? Yeah, I think that when we are in the labor and delivery unit, we as nurses follow policy and procedure and standard of care. I have a responsibility to practice according to my policy, procedure, standard of care. I talk about that all the time on this podcast and in my classes. And I also have a responsibility to my license because that's my bread and butter. It allows me to be a nurse. And I have a responsibility to my hospital to be the best um, representative of my hospital who has hired me to do this job. So Mm -hmm. let's just say. So when I come across a patient who does not understand what informed consent or gives me an answer when I ask them, do you know why you're having dot, dot, dot? That could be an induction of labor or why are you having... A, um, a cesarean section for non-medical reasons. That gets into murky water because oftentimes the response is very vague. Um, well, my doctor says it's time. And I feel that my patient's not really informed of the risk benefit of the procedure that they're about to have. And yeah. that makes me feel like, oh, now I need to say to the obstetrician, you know, this patient really doesn't understand the risk benefit. I think Mm -hmm. we're doing a great job of improving informed consent, but that puts us in a very precarious position if the patient hasn't taken responsibility for really understanding what's happening to them Mm -hmm. and uh, becoming part of those choices. Yeah, and let's say what informed consent is not. It's not saying, I'm going to check you right now. If you're doing a cervical exam, it's asking the patient, is it okay if I check you, check your cervix, I'm noticing, even explaining, I'm noticing on the fetal heart tracing that your contractions are closer together, I want to see if you are more dilated, or whatever the explanation is, and then the patient can say, oh, there's a benefit of, of getting examined right now. Um, the risk is that it could be uncomfortable. Um, so do you do you um, agree to that procedure or not? And that would 
I think that's part of informed consent too. Yeah, and I think also it's important for the nurses in labor and delivery Mm -hmm. to not assume an authoritarian role when it comes to vaginal exams. And patients know a lot more. They Mm -hmm. have read a lot more. They Mm -hmm. understand that um, we probably do too many vaginal exams and they're concerned about infection rates. But always a conversation. I would like to examine your cervix to see if you've Mm -hmm. made progress. The patient may say to me, I just was examined an hour ago. I don't feel any urge to push. Um, I'd really like to just be left alone for a while longer. And oftentimes when I go to the obstetrician and tell them, you know, your patient just doesn't want to be examined again. Mm -hmm. Um, I might get some pushback, but I think more and more the doctor's like, all right, you know, in a couple of hours, let's, you know, they, they don't yeah. put up a big fuss about it as much mm-hmm. as even five or 10 years ago, which I really appreciate. It's true. It's like this patient is as concerned about the increased risk of too many vaginal exams after her membranes have been ruptured. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, she's informed. So that's so good. kind of like, we yeah, love we love yeah. that. But being able to not um, try to inflict or mm. impose my point of view yes. on my patient is something that we need to get better at, I think. Yep. We're going to talk more about that. Yeah. Number three, you have the right to choose the hospital or birth center where you will deliver. Um, oh, this, this is my favorite. <laughs> this is, I know, this kind of, <laughs> we're getting into a little bit of murky water here because I think, yes, you have the right to choose, but also you need to understand that not all obstetricians have privileges at the hospital where you might want to deliver or the birth center. So you have to understand the um, partnerships between obstetricians and certain hospitals. And, and it could go either way. It's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? So what comes first? You're choosing the obstetrician or choosing the hospital or birth center you want to deliver at. Mm-hmm. If you choose the hospital first, then you have to kind of do some backwards work to figure out, oh, what obstetricians actually deliver at that facility? Mm -hmm. Um, And then if you choose your doctor or midwife first, you have to know where they have privileges to deliver. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In our area of Santa Monica, there's a group of physicians that um, deliver at both hospitals with a very short distance of each other Mm -hmm. and there are some that just deliver at one and some that just deliver at the other and so that's absolutely significant and then definitely communicating that with your provider where you would like so if they deliver at two different hospitals um clarifying that with your provider like oh i know you deliver at these two places but i want to go to this place right so that when you arrive there um they're not surprised like wait i sent over your prenatal records to the other facility because i thought you were delivering there and yeah i have a couple of friends that are obs- uh, that are obstetrical nurses labor and delivery nurses in other states who have sister hospitals or they have mm-hmm. hospitals that are within close proximity and they show up at one in labor when they were really registered at the other they're like dang it yeah right Could and also been a simple fix. the little you know the bigger picture of um choosing a hospital is that you have chosen a hospital so when you come into a hospital setting 
that you are aware of the policy and procedures and standard of care and that you have a responsibility to understand that, to ask questions about that, and then ultimately to agree. And I use that um, analogy or you know the example of if I were to come over to your house while you were making dinner and I would rearrange your furniture and just say, <laughs> I just like your living room better this way. So sometimes it's murky water when patients come into labor and delivery. They don't understand how labor and delivery works and our responsibilities legally, Mm -hmm. medically, um, and don't want to to adhere to our policy and procedure. And that often starts off the relationship at odds, which, you know, you can go right down the rabbit hole when Mm -hmm. you're in an adversarial relationship with a person that you're committed to taking care of for the rest of your shift. That's rough. Yeah, Yeah. it it can be rough. And this is leading to number four, which is you have the right to refuse treatment. Mm. So this is where I think um, there there could be some ruffling of feathers on Mm -hmm. both parts, the patients, you know, the patient and the nurse. Um, or the provider, the um, OBGYN or midwife, Um, you do have the right to refuse treatment. I think it's so important to be educated and understand the risks and benefits of treatments. And this is where taking a birth class comes into play. How would you know any of these things? How would you know a treatment is the best thing for you at your point of labor and delivery or not the right thing, um, you'd have to know what treatments would be typically offered, right? Um, in labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. So I talk a lot about that in birth class Mm -hmm. and I don't think a lot of teachers really talk about that. They talk a lot about feelings. They talk a lot (laughs) about getting through labor contractions, surges, waves, whatever you want to call them. They talk a lot about um, how to protect yourself, but they don't talk a lot about what actually is the way that obstetrical units work. So the patients come in and they feel blindsided because they really never understood how it works in the first place. Right. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. I think that if I walked into any place and I was completely caught off guard and had no idea about how it works, I would be terrified. Yeah, definitely. So part of the responsibility is, of the patient is gaining information, finding birth teachers that will give also a bigger picture of labor and delivery so they understand about the inner workings and what motivates us. What motivates us? What mm-hmm. what are we there for? We are there for maternal fetal well-being. And yes, sometimes that feels like we're trying to impose our will on our patients, but a lot of it has to do with um, outcomes and evidence, literature, and again, policy and procedure that we need yep. to follow it in order to function in a hospital setting. Yeah. That's right. that's right. 
Okay, number five, you have the right to change your mind. I think this is great for a pregnant woman. I think we're constantly changing our minds when we think uh, it's the right thing to do X, Y, Z, and then we we realize, oh, maybe not. Right. Um, So it's nice to have that kind of pressure taken off, knowing, Mm -hmm. oh, I could change my mind. Maybe I said that I didn't want to have an epidural. I wanted to have an unmedicated labor mm-hmm. and then you get to be six seven centimeters and you're like never mind <laughs> i want an epidural right now absolutely um that is very freeing to know we're not judging you we're not uh holding you to stick to your original plan absolutely um, we, don't, and we, we see that dynamic in labor and delivery a lot when mm-hmm. i can feel the vibe in the room change when a patient and her support person or support team are at odds because of a promise made. Right. An idea made, a you know, that was, you know, that was weeks or months or even 24 hours ago. And I tell people in class that labor and delivery is the ultimate being in the moment Mm. exercise. If you are a person that likes to look into the future and know what's going to happen, you're going to be seriously disappointed. And you need to stay in the moment. Just as many... I shouldn't say just as many. That's actually not true. Many patients will also say, you know, I thought this was going to be way worse. I told you (laughs) I was going to want an epidural early on in my labor. And I feel like I'm moving along okay. Like I'm I'm just going to keep on going. And I'm like, here's the great thing. You get to change your mind every five minutes. And I know the (laughs) anesthesiologists, when I call them and say, can you come do an epidural? And they they get out of bed and out of their call room or they come up from the cafeteria and they get there and I say, sorry, she changed her mind. And they look at me like, what am I here for? I'm like, look, she's got the prerogative to change your mind. She... We know we talked her off the ledge. She got in the shower. She got on her birth ball. She's mm-hmm. coping, and I want to get her a little more dilated anyway. And I don't want to take mobility out of the equation. So sorry. <laughs> and I've had to do that two or three times. And I know the anesthesiologists sometimes get irritated. Most of them are like, well, okay, whatever. They just turn around and go about their business. <laughs> right, right. But absolutely. You have the right to change your mind in all kinds of areas. But remember, as patients, you might come up against negotiations with your Mm. obstetrician or nurse who's going to give to you a set of reasons why we feel like a certain procedure or a certain intervention would be in Mm -hmm. your best interest. Definitely. Yeah, good one. Okay, number six, last one. You have the right to choose the friends and family members present during labor. Um, I think also having a doula would fall into this category. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, this is, I think this was a main issue coming up with COVID. I'm just mm-hmm. like, well, you're taking away my right to have a support person, to have yeah. a friend, to have a family member mm, there yeah. during labor. But um, there there were uh, bigger fish to fry, so to speak. And, absolutely. And bigger things to consider yeah. than having uh, five of your cousins there at your yeah. labor. Absolutely. I mean, this is a pandemic. People will call this circumstances that are out of our control. Um, This is some other people will call this an an act of God, like any other natural disaster. Um, All kinds of names for everybody needs to regroup, 
shift their thinking, shift their narrative to fit the situation. We're all in survival mode now. And the people in the room are going to be set by the people that make policy based on evidence. Right. And most of the hospitals are saying there's one person in the room plus possibly a doula, certified doula. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that will change during peaks of the virus. But let's just talk for two seconds about our number six and in a non-COVID world, which I'm hoping I can can feel it Uh, right out there. (laughs) The light at the end of the tunnel. The light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) Having all of those people in the room may be comforting to the patient and irritating to the nurse because fielding questions and opinions from four or five different people can be a daunting task. At the same time, we need to respect that patient, that mom, has now are relying on these people to be their advocate. Mm -hmm. So we're on a slippery slope of making sure the patient feels heard and that we are providing empathetic um, listening and that we understand that you know religion and culture uh-huh. and family dynamics and all of those things factor in and we have to navigate that with a certain amount of finesse and sensitivity totally yeah we're gonna yeah. dive deeper into all that stuff um in part two of this episode what happens when there is conflict between mm-hmm. the nurse or the provider and the patient and or the people in the labor room so maybe Mm. you have a doula there and um and there's conflict so how can both parties work to um to navigate that conflict yeah together i mean you know i will say also sometimes um where a doula is concerned i'm you know in a, a difficult situation and then there are some times where i am completely relying on the doula to help me out yeah Definitely. I'll I'll ask the doula to come out of the room and say, okay, I'm going to give you my nursing expertise, Mm -hmm. the obstetrician's wishes, and give you the whole story, risk benefit to what we're looking at here. And I need you to go in there and help your client understand. Mm -hmm. And if that client is bonded to the doula and she can be of help to me, I'm all in. Yep. Yeah, and it's the same way that as trusting yeah, relationship yeah. that maybe we haven't had the time yeah. uh, to do. So yeah, and then yeah. and then if there's somebody you know who's standing in my way of that, that's a whole other uh, that's a whole other can of worms. So that's... we'll be talking about <laughs> the um, ACOG Bill of Rights mm-hmm. uh, rec- when someone wants to refuse medically recommended treatment during pregnancy and labor and delivery, how we can help. And we're yes. going to talk a lot about um, helping nurses find better ways to engage in conversation That's and right. sort of changing the narrative in the room when we need to do that. I think Definitely. it's going to be really interesting. So yeah, it might be a little bit can... longer, but we have a lot to cover. And yeah, this is going to be a longer for, one for sure. Yeah, thanks for being a part of this yeah. journey with us and just discussing these hard topics and these things kind of behind the scenes. Of, yeah. And if you're listening to this and, and you want to uh, leave a comment about the patient's bill of rights, please do. My yes. Instagram is birth nurse Liz Shannon. And mine is Preparented. We are open to DMs and just discussing this further. 
I've even gotten um, suggestions from people on my Instagram of, can you talk about this? Can you talk about that? So uh, we're open to discussing yeah. what you guys want to hear about. Uh, stay tuned for our uh, part two of um, Patients' Bill of Rights. Yep. It'll be really Bye. interesting. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as birthnurseliz and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.